I'm not a technologist. I just pretend to not play one on TV. Sparta wants to join. Hello, cousin. Hi. Hello, cousin. Hi, cousin. Hi, cousin. Hi, cousin. Hello, cousin. The people on the bus are fascinating people. My favorite ride on the Greyhound would be with Lefty. Oh. Who wasn't actually left-handed. Who is Lefty? Now, I don't know this story. Yeah. So, well, I was heading to Thunder Bay on the Greyhound. And I happened to have my newborn baby with me. He was three months old. And so I had him tucked in beside me up against the window in his car seat. And I was in the aisle seat. And when we got to Kenora, a bunch of people came on. And there was this guy that sat beside me. You know how the seats are kind of staggered. So he was beside me, but slightly behind me across the aisle. I was curious, as per usual, and started talking to him. I noticed that he was doing origami, which I thought was pretty cool. I'm always fascinated by that. I remember in elementary school, my one friend, she would send these cool notes, you know, all folded up really neatly. And I know some of you have, have done that as well. But anyway, so I looked over at Lefty and noticed that he was making something. So I struck up a conversation. It was interesting because he just pulled this piece of paper out of his pocket and started folding and doing whatever and making swans and frogs and a bunch of different stuff. And he had told me that he had recently learned how to do that and was using the paper he was using. It was also from the place where he learned to do this art <laughs> the jail. And so he was using his prison release form to do some origami. To make an origami. <laughs> I think I do remember. This is such a good story. I love that. Yeah. So the curiosity got the best of me. And eventually I was able to weave our conversation as to how he ended up there. It turns out that he was in there for assault. But he felt that it was an unfair conviction. And he mm-hmm. was couldn't wait to get home to go beat the out of the guy and well and and knowing his name we we exchanged names his name's lefty and and i'm always excited because as a left-handed person i get excited when i when i meet other left-handed people and so i asked him if he was and he said no so then i was kind of confused about that but i dropped it it seems like a conversation that he didn't want to pursue and once once we arrived at his destination, was which wasn't that far away, a couple of hours maybe, I had hoped by then that I had convinced him that it wouldn't be a good idea to go <laughs> out of someone. It wouldn't really support his, I was wrongfully convicted. And we went on our merry way. The people on the bus are fascinating people. And then I think are. you are a person on a bus. You are a fascinating person. Why are you there? And my mom, she loves taking the bus. She called the other day to say that there's been a bus route restored between uh, Thunder Bay and Winnipeg. So she's all jazzed Mm -hmm. about that so she can take the bus. And I think it's, yeah, that's great news. Right. But I think it's maybe part of speaking of DNA would be people watching. Those are the people we hail from are the people watchers. I think it was a conversation I had with Carrie yesterday. I don't, or maybe it was you, Laura, where I, I shared that 
my mother said that that um, my grandmother used to take her and her siblings into town to sit on a park bench or a street bench to just watch people. <laughs> that was the outing. And that was like an outing. <laughs> and I actually clarified that with my mom and my mom said, oh yeah. And I, and I said, did she just like to watch the people or did she like to talk to people? And my mom said, oh, she loved to talk to people. That's a, that's another inherited kind of. We can't go anywhere with my mom without oh my gosh, her talking she knows to everybody. Someone. And if she doesn't, I remember and if one she does, time, she does now. She does now. That's right. For <laughs> where I like spent twenty minutes in the Safeway or someplace with talking to this lady, and I'm you know being polite and nodding and being like, okay, let's move along here, folks. And after they parted, I was like, who's that? She's like, I have no idea. I just met them. That's exactly new cousin. <laughs> new cousin. They have restored those service between Thunder Bay and Sault Ste. Marie as well. Oh, awesome. Which is amazing. Get your news here first. From cousin. <laughs> the cousin news network. If you haven't heard, yeah, yeah, some good news, some good bus news. That's what it yes, is. Yes, and it's not going to cost four hundred trillion dollars. Like it is still a little bit pricier than what Greyhound was, but perhaps if they get the people, then it Price won't be be lowered. Yeah, and it will stop in White River. Oh, that's dot, good dot, news. Dot. So we yes. can go visit our cousins. Yes. So I think one thing is cousins. What we do well in this group of collective cousins is to try to build connection with people. And we do that inher- inherently, <laughs> um, <laughs> I believe from our parents, from our mothers specifically, who would build connection with others. And, you know, you could see that through, you know, deeds with your, your grandmother taking, you know, her children to go people watch or the fact that some folks would say, Oh, Carrie, you're such an extrovert. You, you know, you're so forward and you're talking and energy and movement. And I think, you know what the truth is, I love watching people. And part of that watching is also how I'm, how I like to build connection with people. Because I think if we look at people, we watch their body language, their movement, we watch how they interact with others. It's kind of like ammo on how we can interact with that person. And so that could also be why we are notorious for attracting people to us. So I'm talking specifically oh, about sure. strangers, right? They're people that we'd have never met. You know, I can't, as much as I talk about my mother, how she does that, you know, she meets people and Next thing you know, we've, we've lost 20 minutes of our lives to them. I do the exact same thing. But have you lost yeah. or have you Oh, absolutely. It's else? a gain. But I'm just saying, like, I, I used to see it as a loss. But now that I'm the person who does that, <laughs> it's so fun. <laughs> and I usually learn something. I actually have a story I would love to share. So safe space. (laughs) The summer that we were getting married, it's almost like a rite of passage (laughs) in (laughs) in joining the family to meet the cousins. And so that's what we were doing. So um, Rick had worked 
all night. He was working shift work. And so I was driving. We were going from Winnipeg to Thunder Bay and eventually to White River to meet my cousins, which will be another story that I I think that we'll have Rick on for to explain his first meeting of the cousins. Anyway, as we were driving, we were just past uh, Deacon's Corners when I noticed what looked like an elderly indigenous woman. And it turns out that's exactly what it was. So I, I passed her and she was thumbing for a ride. And I thought, whoa, wait a minute. If I don't pick this woman up, who is? I know I'm a safe person for her. So I pulled over to the side of the road and she hopped in kind of, you know, did a little chit chat. Hey, how you doing? You know, where are you going? You know, I'm going pretty far. Do you like how far do you want to go? And she just needed a ride to Kenora, which is only two hours away in my eight hour drive, right? So Rick kind of was stirring mm-hmm. in the back seat a little bit, <laughs> wondering <laughs> what in the world I was inviting some stranger into his vehicle. <laughs> and what was the most amazing thing? You know, we just talked about how, you know, when we meet a stranger and is that a loss of time or is it a gain of so much? And I have to say, in this case, it was a huge game. So she was headed to her grandson's first birthday. So it was really exciting time in their family to celebrate this baby. And um, I asked her, I said, well, do you work? And she said, oh, yeah, I work at a, I think it was a bread factory or something. Like, I'm just not showing up for work today. And so (laughs) me, I was like, poor value let people know when you're not going to be there <laughs> I said you you need to like stop and call she's like eh, don't worry about it it'll be fine and so I kind of had that tucked in the back of my mind that wait a minute we probably should have called your work so now I've <laughs> really inserted myself into her life within the first 30 seconds <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so again my curiosity gets the better of me and I move into question mode and I want to know everything about this woman and she thank goodness wanted to share and I felt so privileged and deeply honored with what she shared with me she talked to me about how she was the youngest of six children and her mom died when she was really little and her dad didn't really know what to do she and her siblings all of them ended up in residential school And being young, she was only four. She wasn't allowed to be in school. She told me how, you know, all the things that we've read and we've heard about, she explained all of them to me. How her hair was cut, how they would scrub her arms trying to rub, and these are her words, not mine, rub the Indian out of her. And so her arms were all, you know, had had been scrubbed as this little four-year-old kid abrasively because she wasn't old enough to be in school they locked her in a locker for the day so obviously I was silent and I just let her tell her story and I I I do think about this woman I and it's weird I know it sounds cheesy and some of you are like whatever Carrie but every time I drive down that part of the highway I um, it's almost like I can see her walking towards Kenora and I'm like wow what I would have missed had I not picked her up Right. What part of that? And uh, I, I don't know. I don't know if I could call her a cousin because she was an elder, but maybe like an elder cousin. <laughs> and so, yeah, Kokum. a Kokum. Yeah. I don't remember her name, but I do remember, you know, that's cheesy. I do remember how I felt. 
And I do remember how I felt. I felt um, honored and ashamed at the same time. Where do you think that shame comes from? White. Because, because as much as we're Métis, we're, we're the being... white Métis. And so I feel responsible. Well, I, do you know I, what I mean? I do. I totally understand that feeling. I'm just wondering if, like, I, I asked you because I, I have the similar, uh, I have similar feelings. And we'll probably talk about this in another episode. Yes. But, I mean, just we're kind of like three different steps on the same ladder right now. Like you, you have your Métis. I don't um, card. Laura is applying. No, Rick oh, you does. don't. I thought no. you had applied for it. Laura, you're applying. I I'm had, applying. I had all the paperwork. Laura's applying. I had all the paperwork, but I feel really conflicted about it. I know that the idea is that anybody can self-proclaim, but then I also have this kind of you know, this great vast void of Mm -hmm. connection. Mm -hmm. Like there is no connection because we had, you know, a generation of family that completely denied. And I wish we could ask them. Yes. I think it goes back to shame that it was shameful. We still have a generation of disconnection Mm -hmm. that, that don't want to acknowledge. I wonder sometimes if it was, self-preservation exactly. though as well yeah. I mean I attended a Métis meeting and the, there was a lady that was talking and I wish I could remember her name but they talked about and I it, it was just like a, a later conversation it wasn't part of the uh, meeting but they were explaining and actually I think this might not have been at that meeting it might have been at a <clears throat> a, a Red River dancing performance where they were explaining about how the Red River dance came about and the fact that, you know, Métis people were not allowed to dance. So they wouldn't, at night in their homes, they'd they'd do the Red River dance and it looked like people just walking past the windows when in fact, below the window, their feet were going 90 miles an hour. And I wonder if that shame was something or that fear was something that our, you know, our elder generations were like, it's just a thing about us that everybody knows, but nobody mm-hmm. talks about. Mm-hmm. My mother has always said that <clears throat> when she thinks of like the more visibly Métis people like her grandmother, she she says, you know, the things that she did and the way that she looked it, to her, it just, you know, that was just yeah. grandma. Mm-hmm. You know, it wasn't like she couldn't, she didn't separate her from her Métis-ness or it was not a thing. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? I don't. I don't know if I ex- explained mm-hmm. what I'm, my thought process on that all was, but just I feel I feel like that loss of connection from you know the there's no there's no proudness in being declaring that I'm Métis when I I I don't know what it means. I, I can't. It's a journey, though. It's a journey. Yeah. Knowing. Yeah, it is a journey. Yeah. I think everyone feels different and you have to make that decision for yourself. Yeah. Obviously. It's fascinating too, because um, I have all of our 
genealogy. Well, not all of it, but I, I have a fair amount of it right now that I'm digitizing. And the amount of things that I'm learning that I had absolutely no idea about or any connection to is just it's overwhelming in a very positive way, but also you end up with that that shame and that you know all these feelings come up, right? Is it a feeling? Yeah, of it's loss? almost like a, a grief, like yeah. a, a mm-hmm. loss, because that's yeah, it is totally. That's a good way of explaining it. That's yeah, I identify. Uh, with but that. then also you, and once I pass this along to you guys, once it's digitized, I'm sure you'll mm-hmm. you'll feel the the feelings, right? Um, but there's also a sense of pride. Um, in who we are um, once you discover this but there's there, there's definitely a huge disconnect you know it's very hush hush especially in our mm-hmm. neck of the woods so it's kind of hard to process it because it's something you want to talk about but either nobody knows what you're talking about or you get the the gatekeeping answer which I'm sure will yeah. divide divulge more dive more into that yeah. <laughs> the gatekeeping at some point yeah, no, it's been it's been a it's a journey in itself, and eventually I probably will write something about it. But yeah, understanding that part of our our history and our culture, though I believe is like that huge step towards healing some of those gaps that we feel and that grief that we feel. We have the opportunity in our generation and and the next to be able to restore some of that. Forgive the term, righteous pride that was lost for a long time. And I know I had, and unfortunately I'll have to, I'll have to redo it because the thread was so old, it just withered, but it was my grandmother's and it was a beaded necklace that my mom had gotten from her. And it's in her favorite color, which was turquoise to think that she had that. And it wasn't something that was out in the open hashtag gatekeeping. Um, it was something that she had. So when she passed, that was my mom had found and, you know, passed that to me. You know, some of these these stories and and their experiences, even with their mother, like speaking of our grandmothers, um, unfortunately are lost. Mm-hmm. And I think that that is also part of the grief is when we don't share the stories, when we don't have those uh, that ability to connect or to, to pass along those stories. A couple of years ago, we were at, as some of you know, I belong to, um, or I used to participate with a women's hand drumming group, and I'm sure that that will come around again. But we were at, I don't like to call it a performance. It was an opportunity to, to share the songs. And there was a lady there, an elder from the community, her name's Ruth, and she was sharing stories from her childhood. And it was so cool. And so Wyatt who would have been maybe 10 at the time went up and I went with him and she turned to him and said, you need to continue these stories. Your stories are important and the stories from your family and and was kind of like (laughs) kind of half giving him the gears and, and encouraging him, right. That that is an important thing to continue these stories on and to pass on for generations because that is part of our culture is Métis culture would be storytelling. And I think that's why the three of us navigate towards that and use it in our teaching um, as a way of connecting ourselves, maybe 
subconsciously to that part of our heritage. And so stories are important. Just to launch off of that as well, um, I've written about this before, but I don't really feel that connection to telling the stories necessarily on our side. However, my grandfather on my dad's side was the one, I think, who had a heavily huge influence on me documenting, whether it be vlogging, blogging, writing, you know, like all of these things, picture taking. Most of my memories of my grandfather are of him with this ridiculously yes. large VHS recorder yes, on his it. shoulder. Yes. <laughs> um, so I find I get a lot of that from him. However, that being said, he was always the one that was recording these stories for us and doing all this stuff, which was awesome, but very rarely would share stories about him and his past. It's just fascinating that that it's almost genetic. It probably is mm-hmm. that that carries through, right? Um, this fascination of needing to tell our stories and hopefully this inspires some people to start talking with their, you know, families and their elders and their children about the importance of these stories and passing them along. And I think in a way that's almost why we're doing this so that our, our story does continue and it doesn't just end up at some. Yeah. Well, I know like on, on my paternal side, especially with my uncles, my kids love sitting around and listening to these guys tell stories they're great storytellers. <laughs> they oh, have a lot of stories. stories. <laughs> They're old and they have stories. Don't forget <laughs> uncles. They, do. they have fascinating stories and the way they tell them, you're right there with them. And so the, their stories, yes. actually my one uncle wrote, has written a book called, you know, the first 75 years. And it a lot of it is not just his genealogy, but his journals and his stories. And how lucky we are that there was someone that was courageous enough to do that and and had, you know, the dedication towards yes. that. Otherwise, you know, he's 92, 93 this year. And, you know, some of that would be lost for sure. Just to bring it back to that initial story that you shared with us about picking up this, the elder who was, who was mm-hmm. um, hitchhiking. So maybe perhaps our role right now is to collect our own stories and to listen mm-hmm. to the stories of other people. And I think that that kind of listening, listening to your story about this lady and her experience with residential schools and other, I had an experience as well where I, I was participating in a focus group and these two gentlemen were uh, descendants of people who were in the residential schools Actually, I think one of them also attended a residential school and they were giving just kind of a background on their experience. And I felt really strongly that that was kind of a way for me to to kind of bridge that gap of information and of just history in my own family is is to listen to the stories of people that maybe had a had a a life experience that was parallel our ancestors, you know, experience that, that that's my job is actually to listen. Well, you know, as you're saying, no, I'm just, I'm so like wanting to interject here because if there's nothing else (laughs) I have learned in exploring um, our indigenous side and, and what that, that culture means, 
it's to listen. I have so many questions for them, right? Every time we meet, I'm I'm like, I have so many questions. But within the first few times I I met with these women and, you know, gathering in a circle of women is so powerful to begin with. But as we met, I had all these questions and one lady said, it it will come to you or in time. And she kept being like, essentially telling me to shut it. Right. But in a polite way, like you will learn this, this is something you will gain and you will learn. And it's, it's the importance of being quiet. I talk about this in my big girl job. We have two eyes, two ears and a heart and one mouth. So there's a ratio there <laughs> that should be considered, right? And so you're ab- I absolutely agree with you is the importance of listening. That lady's story, that's as much as that's my story of picking her up. I think it's my story. That's her story, right? It's her story, but I think that it also helped, like personally, when I hear other stories and especially, you know, Indigenous people and Métis people sharing stories, it kind of helps me to bridge that gap of grief. Yes. It kind of gives me a place, you know, a puzzle piece to, you know, why am I feeling this grief and why do, because I don't have like the understanding to know why I feel this way and like I can't resolve it myself. And the only way I kind of feel a, a sense of, of resolution is by kind of being witness mm-hmm. to the stories of others. Mm-hmm. I love I, that, the way I that really you worded that, a witness to the stories of others. I think that's part of why yes. we're doing this, right? Of, of welcoming our cousins in so that mm-hmm. we can be a witness to their stories and to validate. And for a lot of us, that grief that maybe we do feel that that disconnection some folks might not have a great connection to their cousin right or to their family or anything like that or may feel completely alone and so hopefully we're able to to build this safe community where people can be a witness to their own story a witness to other stories and just to feel validated and to help bridge that gap of grief that that many people do feel and might not even recognize what they're feeling yeah. Cool. Exactly. Yeah. Um, I definitely am not here to be like um, a know-it-all to tell people mm-hmm. how they should feel or how should they should act. I really yeah. want this to be like a, a conversation on, you know, a multitude of things, not just not just like our our chosen families, our blood families, you know, like but of, on on all sorts of all sorts of things mm-hmm. that we kind of experience. Time, did you have something beings. to add? An open discussion. Oh, well, just to add to that, you know, bearing witness to other people's stories and to thank them and have that gratitude for them to have the courage to share those stories, to give people that that ear in that time of day to just let their story fall free without um, necessarily having anything to say back to them than just to say thank you for sharing because sometimes people are just looking for that outlet like the the kokum that you spoke of maybe she just needed you know to tell her story to someone without them saying well you know here's my you know sympathy or here's this or you know there's sometimes that people just need to speak and to know that they've been heard and that's it it's that listen lady aspect of thank you for sharing and thank you for having that courage to tell me or however you want to word it. Mm -hmm. 
Do you need a listening cousin? Feel free to leave us a message. Let us know if it's okay if we air it or if you would rather keep it private. Visit hellocousin.org.